0: for the reading of the word when they came to the crowd a man approached jesus and knelt before him lord have mercy on my son he said he has seizures and is suffering greatly he often falls into the fire or into the water i brought him to your disciples but they could not heal him you unbelieving and perverse generation jesus replied How long shall I stay with you how long shall I put up with you bring the boy here to me Jesus rebuked the demon and it came out of the boy and he was healed at that moment then the disciples came to Jesus in private and asked why couldn't we drive it out he replied because you have so little faith truly I tell you if you have faith as small as a mustard seed you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God.
1: Amen. Do you believe God's here with us this morning? Amen. I think that one of the greatest testimonies we have of Christ's faithfulness is that he, he meets with us here each and every Sunday. There's not been one Sunday we've met in this place that God's Spirit hasn't been here. Amen? Our God is faithful. Well we're going to be continuing a series that we began last week um, entitled Miracles of Jesus. Uh, if you remember last week Pastor Stan talked about Christ's first miracle. Uh, it was this miracle that Christ performed where he turned water Into wine. And Pastor Stan uh, talked about the miracle of synchronicity. It's this idea that God uses us each and every day if we're willing to put us in the exact right moment at the exact right time. It's a miracle that God performs each and every day. But today we're going to be talking about another miracle that Christ performed. Uh, This particular miracle occurs in the book of Matthew, chapter 17. So if you want to go ahead and flip there, follow along, uh, that's where we'll we'll be, Matthew 17. Um, This particular miracle that we're going to be talking about occurs as kind of a footnote to a mountaintop experience. At the beginning of chapter 17, we see Jesus uh, taking Peter, James, and John with him to climb a high mountain. And it was up here on this high mountain that what we call the Transfiguration took place. It's here on the mountain that the glory of Christ is put on display. We see Christ's face shining like the sun. His clothes become white. It's an amazing experience. And as if it couldn't get any better for Peter, James, and John, suddenly uh, out of nowhere appear two other men right beside Jesus. And it's Elijah and it's Moses. It's these two Old Testament figures who have been long dead, but now here they are appearing in the flesh. And when this happens, Peter, in his typical naive and ignorant way, says, Hey, let me build a, a few tents so that you guys, aren't warm to, or you guys are warm tonight. Can I build you some shelters so you have a place to sleep? Um, but Peter is quieted shortly thereafter, because all of a sudden the cloud comes and covers Jesus, Elijah, and Moses. And a voice thunders from heaven and says, this is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And upon hearing this, the disciples fall on their faces in fear, but they're shortly comforted by Jesus, who's all of a sudden alone, No more shining face, no more white clothes. Moses and Elijah have disappeared. And Jesus tells the disciples to get up and follow him back down the mountain. The transfiguration is this supernatural event in which Jesus' true identity is revealed to those who witnessed it. Suddenly we see Christ as he's going to appear at the resurrection where he's gonna be robed in, in light and, and filled, uh, robed in white and filled with light, and he's gonna be joined. And we hear this audible and incredible voice of God thunder down from heaven. It's an amazing and miraculous event that occurred before the disciples that day. I'm sure it, it occurred on a mountaintop, but I think that it was also a mountaintop experience for those three men. It was probably the pinnacle of their lives up to this point. I'm sure they were standing there thinking, this is as good as it gets. This is great, did you just see what happened? Because it's there on the mountaintops that any doubts or any fears they had about Jesus, any doubts that they had as to his divinity must have been washed away because they saw it right there, right in front of their eyes. But notice the contrast in the next section. At the beginning of chapter 17, we see the glory on Christ on display for these three disciples. There's a lot of hope, and it's filled with miracles, and it looks great. It's this mountaintop experience. But what happens when we descend the mountain? What about at the foot of the hill? What's faith like down there? We're not talking about this mountaintop experience, but now we're going to be talking about what it looks like at rock bottom. You see it was at the foot of the mountain that faith seemed pretty hard to come by. It's there that doubts began to set in. It's at the bottom of the mountain that we see other disciples, not the three who were on the mountain, but here's the other disciples doing ministry kind of in the trenches. They hadn't seen what Peter, James, and John had seen on that mountaintop. They weren't there for the transfiguration. But instead, at the bottom of the mountain, we see men who are helpless, who are hopeless, and who are clueless. We see at the bottom of the mountain a man who brought his son to the disciples, but it seems as if they were unable to heal the boy. And we find out later on that it was because of their faith. I think one of the big things that Matthew 17 shows us is that it can be easy to have faith on the mountaintop where everything's going well. When you're just off a a miraculous answer to prayer, we're excited, we're praising God, our faith is huge. We wish we could stay on that mountaintop forever. It's easy to work out our faith on the mountaintop. When your devotions are going great, Every time you open the Bible, it's like the words just jump into your heart. When you're praying and you hear the Holy Spirit whisper in in return, right? When you have coincidental encounters with people that can only be because God set it up, it's in those moments that faith is easy. It's real. It's right there in front of us. And we'd love to stay on these mountaintop experiences of our life. But the unfortunate matter of the fact is that with every mountaintop experience, there's always a descent. Just as Jesus and his three disciples had to come off the mountain and live life at rock bottom, we can't stay on the mountaintops forever. And sometimes when we're coming off the mountaintops, it's a slow descent. It's day after day, a little bit a little bit less, a little bit less. It's over months or weeks, right? A slow descent. But other times, we're on the mountaintop one day And it's like we just took a dive off the cliff and suddenly we find ourselves at rock bottom because of a crisis, a breakdown, a tragic event. And suddenly we're at the bottom and wondering what went wrong. We too begin to feel useless. We say, God, I don't think I can make it down here. I don't think I can live down here. The pressure's too great. The problems are too great. How can I have faith when I'm living down here at rock bottom? It's there that suddenly our devotions seem pointless. We stare at the Bible and we don't really see anything there. There's no meeting in the words. It seems like our prayers aren't being heard. God has ceased speaking to us doubts creep in, questions creep in, and we fall back into old habits or old behaviors we had thought were long gone. It's at the bottom of the mountain that our faith is easily shattered. I wish I could could tell you this morning that your time at the foot of the mountain won't last long. And I wish I could tell you that your time at the foot of the mountain, those times are few and far between. But unfortunately, the truth of the matter is that it's the mountaintop experiences that seem to be few and far between. It's the miracles and the good news and the wonders being worked. Those seem to be rare. It's our mountaintop experiences that don't last as long as we'd like. So what do we do? This morning, I wanted to take a deeper look into Matthew 17. I want to pose for you three reasons why our faith seems to be shattered when we hit rock bottom. I think the first reason that we find that our faith is so easily weakened at the foot of the mountain is because we have small dreams. When Jesus and his disciples descend the mountain, they are met by this man who tells Jesus that his son's been possessed by a demon, and he says, I brought him to your disciples, and they could not heal him. And as Travis read, it sounds like Jesus has a pretty harsh response. He says, you wicked, are you unbelieving and perverse generation? He's telling the people, you're corrupted, you don't believe, you don't have faith. And I wonder this morning if Christ would say something similar to the church today. Would he have the same thing to say? Would he say that we too are unbelieving and perverse? And I love the disciples' response because they kind of pull Jesus to the side. They kind of want to have a private conversation with him away from the crowd, and they kind of whisper to him and they say, I don't get it. Why couldn't we do it? It's then that Jesus tells them that it was a problem of faith. You see, the fact of the matter is, Jesus thought more of his disciples than the disciples thought of themselves. Jesus thought more of his followers than his followers thought of themselves. Jesus had imparted the power to exercise demons onto his disciples, but they didn't believe themselves capable. The disciples had a faith problem because they were dreaming too small. Jesus is saying, would you just dream with me? Would you just see what I have in store for you? Would you just see what I want to do with you, how I want to use you? It's just a few chapters before what we read in chapter 17 that we read the story about Jesus sending out the 72. Do you remember that story? He sends out 72 of his followers, right? And they go and they minister in the surrounding area. And they come back with good news and testimonies of how God worked through them. And only good things to say. And Jesus gets excited and he tells his disciples, he's like, I saw Satan fall like, heaven, like lightning from heaven. I've given you authority to trample on snakes and scorpions and to overcome all the power of the enemy. Nothing will harm you. That's a dream. That's the dream and the power that Christ was trying to impart on his followers. He says, through me, you have the power to make Satan fall like lightning. Through me, you have the power where demons submit to you, where evil is overcome. Jesus is saying, that's what I'm dreaming for you, but as here is clear here in chapter 17 that the disciples have failed to dream the same dream. They don't believe that through the power of Christ they're over able to overcome evil or drive out demons. They'd never dream that God would use them to make Satan fall like lightning, and so they come to a point in their ministry where they say, "I just can't do it." Christ tells them that they can only overcome the power of evil if they have faith, if they dream big, if they think of themselves like Jesus thinks of them. And the same thing is true for us. Sometimes we dream too small. And if we don't dare to dream, we'll never begin to act. An act of faith always begins with a dream, a divine dream that pushes us to do something. The only reason that the civil rights movement took place was because one preacher said, I have a dream, what I believe to be a divine dream. And it was that divine dream that prompted him and many others to act. And with action comes change. When I'm talking about divine dreaming, I'm not talking about just simply setting goals. I'm not talking about simply envisioning yourself as a CEO of a major company, and because you envision it, God will make it true. Right? That's not what... I'm talking about. Divine dreams are different than goal setting. You see, goal setting begins with us, is acted out by us, and is brought about through our own power. Divine dreams, however, begin with God, are planted in us, and come to fruition by our action, but God's power. Divine dreams come, begin with God are planted in us and come to fruition by our actions and God's power. What I'm trying to say is that divine dreaming is not a one-person job. It's a partnership between you and God where we speak to God and say, God, here's what I'd like to do for the kingdom. Here's my passions, here's what, I, here's what I love to do, and here's, what I, here's the kind of what I'm thinking and the dream I have, and it's God responding back to us, and, and he's saying, here's what I'd like you to do, here's what I'm calling you to do. It's a conversation, right? It takes searching, it takes digging, it takes discussion with God, but once a divine dream is planted, you'll never get it off your mind. The reason we come to a place of little faith a place at the foot of the mountain where we say we just can't do it is because our dreams are too small. What the disciples show us in Luke 17 is that if our dreams are small, our faith is smaller. Faith is dreaming that you can do more in Christ than you can do in yourself. Faith is doing more in, believing that you can do more in Christ than you can do in yourself. And if you allow God to implant big dreams in your heart, you're gonna have to have big faith to allow them to come to fruition. We have to believe and dream that God wants to use us than more than just our everyday routine. He wants to use us more than that. Because when we allow God to help us dream, suddenly he blows up our purpose. Suddenly suddenly we're filled with a passion for what God's passionate about. Suddenly we see a plan laid out in front of us, a plan for the kingdom. Suddenly we have a drive that we never had before for this dream that we can't get our minds off of. And these are never small dreams. These are always big dreams. Divine dreams are always big dreams. They're dreams like seeing your entire workplace where everybody's mouths there are proclaiming the goodness of God. It's big dreams like imagining your whole neighborhood joining in a house and digging into the word together. It's big dreams like imagining entire blocks of our city saved for the kingdom. It's big dreams that imagine chains of addiction and of worry and of despair falling off in the name of Christ. Those are big dreams and they take big faith to make them come to fruition. It's God using us to do more than we can do of our own, on our own strength. We gotta have big dreams. In the summer of 1896, Orville Wright contracted typhoid fever. You might remember Orville as one of the brothers that created the first airplane. And he was laying in bed, and he was bedridden for a long, long time. And so in order to pass the time, his brother Wilbur used to come in and sit next to his bed. And he would just read Orville books, right? One of their favorite books to read was this book about animal flight. And they just read it over and over again because they were so interested in this idea of flying. And they had a dream that day that one day humans would be able to fly. And once they had that dream, they couldn't stop thinking about it. And it was a few years later that Wilbur ended up riding the Smithsonian and he wrote the Smithsonian, and he said, I want you to send me everything that you have on human flight. And at that time, there wasn't much. But they sent him one book, right? They sent him a book by a French author who kind of went into human flight, was super passionate about it. And Wilbur read this book, his mind was blown, and his dream was even bigger than it was before. And this is what Wilbur had to say about that French author who wrote that book. He said, this French author was like a prophet crying out in the wilderness exhorting the world to repent of its unbelief in the possibility of human flight. Exhorting the world to repent of its unbelief and the possibility of human flight. When I read that, it made me think, what are some small dreams that we need to repent of? What are some small things that we've written off as impossible, but that God wants us to actually begin dreaming about? What are some areas of our life, our ministry, of our church, where we're just simply dreaming too small? Maybe God's telling us about human flight and how it's possible, and yet we're still in a period of unbelief because we're simply dreaming too small and our faith is too little. It may be time that we join in a conversation with God and allow him to implant big dreams in our heart that force us to have big faith. Not only do we come to a place where we have no faith because of small dreams, but also because of big mountains. It's when Christ evaluates the disciples' problem and determines that it's a faith issue, he says this. He said to them, it's because of your little faith. For truly, I tell you, if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move and nothing will be impossible for you. Jesus' metaphor of moving mountains um, wouldn't have been anything new for the people of this day. Being a mountain mover was a common saying that a lot of people used during that time. They'd say things like, oh, do you know Jacob the carpenter? Oh yeah, he's great, he fixed my wagon overnight. He's a mountain mover, right? Or, Or have you heard of Ananias the shepherd? I heard that once he fought off 12 wolves with a sandal in one hand and an ice cream cone in the other. He's a mountain mover, right? Those are the type of things that people would say, so this, I, this idea of moving mountains was nothing new for the disciples, but Christ states the prerequisite for moving mountains is to have faith, that's it. Just have faith and you too can be a mountain mover. But unfortunately, I'm sure as most of us know, it's passages like this that have caused a lot of division and hurt within the church. We know that if a passage like this is misunderstood or misinterpreted, it can be destructive. Philip Yancey in his book, Disappointment in God, refers to a church that actually is in Indiana that has used passages like this to the extreme. They are featured on TV and in newspapers because members of this church believed that simple faith could heal any disease. And if you looked anywhere else, especially to doctors or to medical professionals, that demonstrated a lack in faith of God. These news articles told of parents who looked on helplessly as their children fought, losing battles with meningitis or pneumonia or even the common flu, these easily treatable illnesses. In each case, the pastor would just urge them just to have more faith in God. Just pray with more faith and he'll come through. In these newspaper articles, it featured a map of the entire United States with little tombstones that marked... The amount of children that have died just because of of mistreatment of verses like this. The members of this church did not blame the results on God, but they blamed it on their own weak faith. I think that's why it's vitally important we try to understand what Jesus is saying here. The problem with that toxic church here in Indiana was that they believed wholeheartedly that mountains are moved because of the power of your faith and not the power of our God. They believed that mountains were moved by the power of your faith rather than the power of God. And we, while we may not take it to such an extreme, we may have heard of or maybe even believed something similar. If you just have enough faith, this mountain would be moved. If you just believe this problem could be solved, And we've come to the conclusion that mountains are moved because of the power of our faith rather than the power of our God. But look at what Jesus says. He says, if you just have faith the size of a mustard seed, just this much, mountains will be moved. A verse that can so often be misinterpreted actually undoes the argument that churches like that one in Indiana state. Jesus himself said it's not about having big faith. You just need faith the size of a small sea. That's it, mountains will be moved. It's not the size of our faith, it's the size of the God we serve. It's believing that our God can move mountains in our life, that he can do the impossible, that he can do what we can't. And if we see God is bigger than our mountains, then suddenly our mountains are pretty easily movable. The reason that we ask the same question as the disciples and we're, we're befuddled because we can't figure out why we can't do it is because we cannot do it. The reason we're so confused as to why nothing happens is because we can't do it on our own. It's not about us. It's not about how much faith we have. Instead, it's about how we see our God. Do you see God as bigger than your mountains? Do you see God as the great mountain mover? Or are you allowing your perspective of your mountains to shrink your view of God? I'm not saying that you should simply look at your problems as no big deal. And if you do that, it's easy to have faith. I'm not saying that you should simply blow off all of your issues because it's easy to see that God's a mountain mover if you just kind of forget about what you're going through. I don't wanna say that because I know that these mountains are big, they're tough. And these mountains weigh on us because we face very big and very real situations. But I'm here to tell you this morning, you don't have the power to move them on your own. But our God is bigger. He's greater than our biggest circumstance and our worst situation. And I know that if you're at rock bottom today, if you find yourself at the foot of that mountain, what I just said may just be sounding like a cliche. You've heard it time and time again. God always comes through. God can do the impossible, nothing new. But what I wanna tell you this morning is to just have a little faith. Just a little faith, Just, just a mustard seed size faith. That's what moves mountains. Just enough faith to say, God, I can't do it on my own, but I believe that you can. God, my mountain looks immovable, it looks impossible, but God, I have just enough faith to surrender over to you, to put it in your hands and trust that you're going to work. It was just a few uh, weeks ago that um, Annie and I went faced a mountain of our own. Um, We came to the end of a month and it was clear that finances were gonna be a big, big issue. Uh, It came with, um, that was a month where we had a lot of big expenses, and they were all entirely my fault. If you remember, I preached a few uh, months ago about how I, like, ran over my phone and knocked off the side view mirror of my car and blew a tire all in the same week. This is the month I'm talking about, right? Those things are expensive to repair, right? So it was a a big month for us, and it was 100% my fault, and so Annie was kind of coming to the end of the month, and she saw that things weren't exactly lining up, and it's going to be... A tight squeeze, and she began to grow worried. And so she came to me and she's like, Hey, I've been praying for our finances because it's clear that we're really struggling. She said, um, You know, have you been, I mean, have, we, I think that you should help me in praying for this. And I said, Yeah, I, I understand. So I'll, I'll, like, let's both begin praying about our finances. Pray that God would move in this situation. And I got to be honest, in that time, at that period, it looked like it was impossible. Like there were literally like four or five days left in the month, like how can God possibly do anything with so little time left? There's no way. Is he just, get, like there's no way that numbers are just gonna appear in our bank account, we're gonna get a surprise check in the mail. There's just, it's impossible. But then I remember this verse and I said, I just have, to ha- just have to have a little bit of faith. Just enough faith just to say, God, I don't understand how you're gonna do it, I don't know if you can do it, but I have just enough faith to say, you know what, I'm surrendering this mountain to you because I can't do it. The money's not there. I can't do anything about this, so I'm gonna put it in your hands, and that just takes this much faith, and say, God, I trust you with this. And so I began praying for our finances, and, t- and laying it over before God, and surrendering it to him. And it was just a few days later that we went out and got the mail, and brought it inside, and there was a check from our uh, a home insurance company, and I ripped it open, And in that that envelope was a refund check because we had paid too much on our home insurance for the year, for the year. And it, 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 it blew me away and I said, Annie, look at this. And she said, you're praying for finances from now on because when you pray, things actually happen. And I said, fair enough, I'll be praying for finances. But it just took this much faith. Right. It just took this much faith to say, God, I don't understand it, I don't get it, I don't know how you're going to come through, time's ticking, I can't do anything, so I have just enough faith to say, God, I'm putting it in your hands. I'm putting it in your feet, and I believe that you're going to work. Just this much faith, and watch as our God moves mountains. Because sometimes those mountains seem insurmountable. They seem too big. But once we see that our God is bigger, we can have just enough faith to put it in his hands. The final reason we find ourselves faithless at the foot of the mountain is not just because we have small dreams and big mountains but because sometimes we have even bigger doubts. The fact that Matthew chooses to put an emphasis on faith in chapter 17 isn't really that surprising. If you read through the book of Matthew, you'll notice that faith and doubt is just an ongoing motif that Jesus brings back over and over and over again. But if you look at Matthew, and you look at Jesus' words and you carefully read them, you'll notice that Jesus never says that doubting is sinful. Jesus never said that doubt equals sin. But what he does make very clear is that doubt can get in the way of his use of us. Doubt can be a roadblock in how God can enable us to to use us for his kingdom. Faith is essential if God's going to guide us in his purpose. In order for him to use us to move mountains in our life, we must have faith. But here we find another misconception that we too easily fall into. Many times we think that when people talk about faith, when we hear that word, when we hear just have faith, many times we think that what they're talking about is the absence of doubt. When I hear that I must have faith, it means I have to check my doubts at the front door. When I hear that I have to have faith, it means that I have to have this strong, unshakable faith in God. In order to have faith in God, it means I have to come to a point in which I need answers to all my questions before I can truly have faith. That in order to have faith in God, it means I have to overcome all my worries and be freed from all my fears. If there's anything that rattles my faith, it needs to be taken away so that I can have faith like we're talking about. But what scripture shows us, what Jesus is showing us, is that's simply not true. The faith that Jesus talks about is faith in spite of our doubts, not faith absent of doubt. We must have faith in spite of our doubt rather than faith in the absence of doubt. I think in the church sometimes we've come to the conclusion that this word doubt is a dirty word. We don't like to talk about it. We don't like to hear it. If we're talking with someone or or we're talking with a friend about God and they begin to share doubts that they're having, doubts about that God really cares about them, the doubts that God will come through, We don't like to hear that stuff, it scares us. We don't want to talk about that. We run in the other direction. But can I tell you this morning that it's possible to have faith in the midst of your doubts. It's possible to have faith in the midst of your uncertainties. Even though we may doubt, and even though we have to sometimes force ourselves to have faith in God, God is still faithful to us. Faith was never meant to be easy, did you know that? Faith was never meant to be easy. Faith was never meant to be clear cut, black and white, easily convincing. Sometimes faith takes work. Sometimes faith takes wrestling. It takes destroying and rebuilding our belief systems. It takes questioning God and conversing with Him, having conversation, sharing your doubts with God. That's what it takes. Strong, unshakable faith that we hear about in the the church only comes about after doubting God time and time again, but pushing through the doubt and seeing God be faithful time and time again. Strong faith is made strong only in the midst of doubt. It's not something that comes overnight. It's having faith in spite of our doubt. I wanna show you an example. If you fast forward to the end of the book of Matthew, If you literally flip your Bible to like the last paragraph of the book of Matthew, you'll see what I'm talking about. Christ has been resurrected and he's gathered with his disciples on another mountaintop. And here he's about to give them the great commission that all of us know. These were disciples that saw him die on a cross and now here he is, live in the flesh. He's standing before them and he's talking to them. That's what scripture says. But look at what happens next, this is crazy. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which God directed them, when Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshiped him. But then there's three words. But some doubted. But some doubted. Here are Christ's most faithful followers, They've been with him his whole ministry. They've seen him heal. They've seen him perform miracles. They've seen him put in a tomb. And here he is, resurrected, shining and perfect, and yet they still doubted. And if the the disciples doubted in that moment, why should we be ashamed of our doubts and our questions? Doubt should not be a dirty secret, secret, but prime planting ground for the seed of faith to these moments at the bottom of the hill, we have to pray, God, you know, I have lots of questions, I have lots of doubts, I have a lot of fears, but God, I choose to have faith in you in this moment. And maybe it's not much. Maybe it's just a mustard seed, God, but I choose to have faith in you in the midst of my doubts, in spite of my doubts. I choose to have faith I want to close with a story that happened to me not too long ago. This was a time in my life when everything seemed to be going wrong. Um, my ministry seemed to be swir- uh, twirling out of control, and my life seemed to be falling flat, and everything, it seemed like, was going wrong. I carried such heavy burdens, and I was having such a difficult time. And it was during that time that I was here at work, and I was working in the front office, and and I remember it was time to pack up and leave, so I was coming out and I was coming back to the back office. And sometimes when we get in the routine of our day, we, re- we don't realize it, but we get so busy. And we never really quiet ourselves. And I remember I stepped into the sanctuary to come back to the back office, and it just like struck me like a brick wall, just how quiet the sanctuary was. The lights were off, nobody was in here, it was just so quiet. And it was in that moment I just felt God pulling at my heart and he's saying, would you just chill out for a second and just come to me? And nobody was in here and I remember I just came and the the lights were off and I just came in here and I just sat in this front pew right here and I just began to cry and to weep and I began to throw all of my questions and my doubts at God. I was like, do you really care? Because right now it seems like you don't. Like, are you really faithful? Because right now it seems like everything is going wrong. I, here's all my questions, here's all my doubts. God, you're really messing this up big time and you need, to, you need to say something about this because I'm upset and I need answers. And I sat in this front pew and I just poured out all this to God. I heard God saying to me, you have to choose to have faith. And suddenly as I was praying, my doubts and my questions and my anger that I was just spitting at God, all of a sudden just began to turn into this one phrase over and over and over again. I sat in this pew and I spoke this same prayer over and over again for like five minutes. And it began like this. I have to believe that you're a good God. I have to believe that you care for your people. I have to believe that you've not left me alone. I have to believe that you love me. I have to believe that you care about me and Annie. I have to believe that you're still here and I have to believe that I'm called. I have to believe that. And that's a mustard seed of faith. That's saying in spite of all my doubts and in spite of all my questions and all the things I'm going through, God, I have to believe that you're still good. I choose to believe that you're still good. Even though everything around me says that you're not, and everything around me says you're not deserving of my faith, God, I choose to believe that you're a faithful God. It's a mustard seed of faith that we have to plant in spite of our doubts and in spite of our questions. God, I choose to have faith. So we come to the end of the story. We can become so distracted by the disciples' faith issue that we fail to see the faith of a father. I mean, this whole time, this whole sermon, we've been painting this picture of what not to do. We've been looking at the disciples and we've been saying don't dream small, don't magnify your mountains, don't let your doubts crowd out your faith, but what about the father? What about on the other side of the coin? What about his dreams? Has had epilepsy, who knows how long? Maybe it was from birth. Every day he has seizures. The father says he's suffering greatly, he falls down in these fits and he rolls into the fire, rolls into the water. It must have been easy for this father to begin to lose faith because of his small dreams. This is just the way it is, he probably began thinking, this is just how it's going to be. We're just going to have to learn to live with this suffering, nothing can be done. It would have been easy for him to see the insurmountable mountain before them, before him. It would have been easy for him just to see this demon-possessed boy and, and know that these were powers beyond his control. There was nothing that he could do. This mountain is too big. Imagine how helpless he must have felt. It would have been easy for his faith to be covered by his doubts. I mean, especially because here he is. He brings his boy to these disciples He's heard about what they've done. He's heard about the miracles, he's heard about Jesus. So here he is coming, bringing this boy to the disciples. Finally hope, finally someone who can solve my issue. Finally someone who can ease my suffering. And I imagine he comes to the disciples and he has this big smile on his face and he's saying, find me. Here are people who can help my boy. And so he lays down the boy at the disciples' feet. And even then, on the ground, his boy's seizing, right? He's throwing himself about. And so the disciples, they bend over and they lay hands on the boy. And they begin praying for him. And I imagine in that moment, he had a lot of hope. He was ready for a miracle to be worked. But I imagine that as time began to go by, with each minute that passed, the father's hope must have diminished more and more and more. And I just imagine the disciples standing up after praying for the boy and taking a few step backs and just, and just looking at the father and saying, I'm sorry, there's just, there's nothing we can do. Can you imagine the doubts that would have set in for this father? Maybe Jesus isn't who he says he is. Maybe the stories of his disciples performing miracles and casting out demons were simply rumors. Maybe Jesus isn't really the Messiah. Maybe Jesus has no power but even despite the doubts that I'm sure must have set in for that father he still had faith I see this father gathering his son back into his arm once more and he just waits maybe it was a few minutes maybe it was a few hours but here he is standing at the foot of the mountain his son in his hands just waiting for Christ to come Nathan's gonna come and sing. We're gonna open up the altars and I just believe that God wants to move mountains today in spite of our doubts. And maybe this sounds like you. Maybe you feel like you're just standing at the foot of the mountain with your issues and your problems in your hands. Maybe you find yourself broken and hopeless. Maybe you've hit rock bottom. Maybe you've been waiting with your situations in your hands for God to move and it seems like God's failed you. That's where this father was in the scripture. He had doubts, he had pain, and he had patience, but he had faith in the midst of all those things. And so instead of turning back home, he stood at the foot of the mountain, waiting for Christ to come. And then Jesus shows up on the spot, and what does he do? Scripture tells us that the father ran to Jesus and fell on his knees and laid his son out and said, Jesus, have faith or have mercy on my son. For that father, there was barrier after barrier after barrier, heartache, disappointments, doubts, questions. But none of them stopped him from having faith in the God who he believed in. None of them stopped him from approaching Jesus in faith and laying his boy at his feet. He comes to Jesus and he says, I can't do anything for my son. I am hopeless. The disciples can't do anything for my son, but Jesus, I trust that you can work. I trust that you have miracles to perform. And this man's faith may not have been a strong one. Maybe he came to the disciples with this big, boulder-sized faith. He's heard good things performed but with failed prayer and failed healing I'm sure that his faith began to wither and wither and wither down to almost nothing but maybe he had just a mustard seed left maybe it was just that mustard seed of faith that kept that man standing at the foot of the mountain waiting on Jesus to come Maybe it was that mustard seed of faith that let that man stand there in patience and not run home in fear. Maybe it was that mustard seed faith, not much. It's rough. It's battle-worn. It's doubt-riddled. It shakes. It's unsure, but it's faith, that small bit of faith that caused the man to surrender his son at Jesus' feet and trust him to work. I can't help but think that maybe there's someone here that feels a lot like that, Father, there was a time when you had boulder sized faith. A situation came your way and you believed God would work and you had a lot of faith in it. But bit by bit by bit, you feel like you've been let down. You feel like working. You feel hopeless. And like the Father, you hold that problem in your hands and you're ready to walk away. Can I tell you this morning that it only takes a mustard seed. It only takes just a little bit of faith to come and kneel at the feet of Jesus this morning. It only takes a little bit of faith to surrender to Jesus and say, I've tried and I've tried, but I surrender this to you today. Maybe all that you have left is that torn up, doubt riddled, battle worn faith. It's just a mustard seed. But Christ is here saying, he's like, that's all I need to work with. That's all you need to just come forward this morning and surrender your problem to me. Christ is saying, lay it at my feet. Watch me work. And watch what I, when I take this broken and helpless situation and make it good again. Kneel at my feet with your small, tired, weak faith, that mustard seed faith. If It's not much. But use that faith to surrender all you have to me. Will you stand with me? I'm going to pray for us. And then the altar is going to be open. We'd love for you to come this morning. We'd love to pray with you. But let me pray for us. Dearly Father, I believe that you are a faithful God, as we've said time and time again. But God, it's clear, God, that there's some times in our life when we're no longer on the mountaintop of the Lord, we feel like we're standing in the trenches. And it's those times, Lord, when faith is tough. Faith is hard. God, there's some people here who just feel like they've been let down. They feel like they don't have much left. They feel like you don't really care. But God, my prayer this morning is that they would realize that they just have to have a little faith, just a mustard seed sized faith, just like the father in that story, just to come and stand at the foot of a mountain. Just enough faith to surrender all they have to you. God, I pray that you would work a miracle today, all from Mustard size faith. We believe that you're here this morning. Will you work, God? Will you come as Nathan sings?